You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.cogginchurch.org. Amen. Wasn't that good? <laughs> Come on. Woo! Oh, it's a, a picture of heaven up here, a picture of faith, a picture of family, a picture of diversity, all in Christ joined together in, in beauty. If you have a copy of God's Word, let's open together to the book of Acts. Yes, we're taking a week off in the book of Philippians to talk about deacons because it's, it's that time to nominate new men to serve in the role of deacon here at Coggan Avenue Baptist Church, Acts chapter 6, and then you may want to put your finger in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So two passages, a lot of work, we need to get going, Acts chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and as you're turning to Acts 6, let me just say thank you for praying for me and the team that went to Honduras, it was a great time, there was some, you know, some sickness and stuff involved, but through your prayers, we're all back, and, and here we are, it was a great time, we hope to tell you about that more. It's, it's been a little while since we've nominated new deacons here at Coggan Avenue Baptist Church. And so we, we've given you or we'll give you sheets of paper that you can write down men's names on in the foyer and on your way out that's on both sides of the stage here. But before we just start writing down names and thinking about it, I believe it's really important to go to God's Word and ask, number one, what is a deacon? Why are in the Scriptures? What do they do? And then are there any qualifications for that role? In fact, we have answers to both of those questions. We know when they were created, we know what they do, and we're going to look at the qualifications as well. Simply put, if, if you don't get anything else in today's message, there's going to be a lot of words, by the way, to describe what I'm about to say, so listen to all the words, but especially this statement. A deacon is a servant, plain and simple. A deacon is a servant who serves with character that you can see. We're going to look at some of that character this morning and with humility. Amen. You may be thinking right now in your seat, like, okay, yeah, I, I see that, but isn't that what we're all supposed to do? Aren't we all supposed to serve with character that the world can see and with humility as we follow the humility of Christ? And yes, you would be right. But a deacon is that one that is specially carved out from the church party, party, kind of a party, the church body to, say, to serve in that role. And so what we like to say in the New Testament church, there's basically two offices, the office of the pastor and that of the deacon. The pastor serves the church by leading and preaching, and the deacon leads in the church by serving. We say that in both Acts 6 and shored up in 1 Timothy 3. Let's look at Acts 6 together. Let's stand as we read the first seven verses. Now, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose. Can you believe there's a complaint even in the early church? A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution or the serving of food. That's kind of a big deal. So the 12 summoned the congregation of disciples together, like you're gathered today, and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you, and that's what we're asking you to do over the next couple weeks, select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte, meaning a recent convert from Antioch. 
And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. That's an ordination service. The word of God kept on spreading. That's the results. And the number of the disciples continued to increase, meaning the church grew in Jerusalem, and a great many, even of the priests, were becoming obedient to the faith. This is God's word. Please be seated. From here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, what I want you to walk away with today is what we're going to do. We should be selecting from our, ourselves men of high character who are tested and qualified to serve this church in the role of deacon. But before you write down that name, because somebody may have already popped into your mind, let's go to the text and see what kind of character these men had then. It's just the same kind of character they should have now. The first thing I want you to see in Acts chapter 6 is that deacons started off as problem solvers, not problem starters. What's the situation or what was the problem? The church was growing. Now, now some people laugh at me when I tell them out in the world that it's painful in the church when you experience growing pains. You're like, really? Growing's a big deal? No, it is. But because when you grow in numerical number, there's more issues, and with more issues needs more service. And so this caused dissension in the early church, which was the root of the problems. These Greek-speaking Jews felt like their widows were being neglected in comparison to these Hebraic or probably Aramaic-speaking Jewish widows. Now, the widows weren't arguing themselves, but the people were descending against each other over what I would consider a pretty important issue. Anybody in here don't consider eating an important issue? I love food. It's a big deal. And widows eating is, is a big deal. Back then, many of the widows could not even care for themselves. If they didn't get the food, what did they have? Not very much. And so this caused dissension. And so the disciples said, we need to solve this problem of dissension. And church, unfortunately, there's still dissension today. Back then, it was a clash of cultures. Today, we still have cultures, cla cultures clashing in the church. There's issues like prejudice and racial tension. There's lasting resentment. But even though our issues may not be exactly the same today, there are important issues that need to be handled in the church that, that come from a good place in the heart, but when they're dealt with the wrong way or not dealt with at all, it can cause dissension. And where's there dissension? There is distraction. And where there is distraction, the mission is not being accomplished, and that's a problem. The mission is to love God, to love others, and to make disciples through the preaching of the gospel, both here and around the world. When that stops happening, we have a problem. So to prevent that from happening, these disciples said, you know what, we're going to choose among ourselves men to help us deal with this dissension problem. And who was born? The deacons. All dissension needs to be dealt with in the church so that the mission can continue to move forward. It's said, and I've actually said it before, that when you think about deacons and who you're looking for as a problem solver, that deacons carry around with them two imaginary buckets at all times. One of these buckets is full of water, which we have some water here today, and one of these buckets is full of gasoline. And the deacon gets to choose in whatever situation he's in whether he is going to extinguish the dissension that is growing or whether he is going to fuel the flames of disunity. Guess what the kind of men that we're looking for? We're looking for the kind of men that only use the water and never use the gasoline. They're only using to bring unity and extinguish disunity instead of feeding the flames of dissension in the church. So when you're thinking about 
that man that you're going to write down. We don't need men who want to stir up dissension in the church. We don't need men that are going to fuel the flames of disunity. We need men who want to see the problem and solve it with humility for the sake of the gospel. Think about those kind of men. But as we're thinking about deacons, that also applies to all of you today. It could also be said that each one of you gathered here this morning, you carry those same two buckets every day, and every day you get to choose. Are you going to fan the flames of disunity? Or are you going to pour the water of humility and God's word on the situation? In that way, all of you, all of us, can serve the church and serve it well. But these men need to be problem solvers, not problem starters. People often ask me a pretty, I would consider a simple question. Pastor, what is a deacon? It's turned into a lot of things throughout church history, but at the root of it, it's not complicated. I said it earlier, I'll say it again, and I'll continue to repeat it throughout this message. A deacon is a servant. The word deacon in the New Testament is diakonos in Greek, and the only thing it's ever meant is servant. Just like the word baptizo that we saw today on display. It's only ever meant one thing. It means to be immersed. And so when we think about a deacon, we need to be thinking about a servant who is serving the needs of the church. Praise God, your deacons here at Coggin, they get this. I've only been granted to a couple of deacons meetings since I've been here, but I can tell you this already. Your deacons desire to serve you. But as we grow, and honestly, as they age, they need help. And that's why I'm standing before you today, to offer them some help by bringing on new deacons. Whether it's widows, hospital visits, or just doing some much-needed labor in our congregation, the heart of the deacon needs to be to serve the local church, and your deacons get it, and the new deacons that we're bringing on will continue to get it. Unfortunately, though, during the coronavirus pandemic, there has been a loss of personal connection. The deacons weren't allowed to go and visit people in the hospital over the last couple of years like they once were. Many people didn't want other people, even if it was a deacon, to be around them in fear of getting the virus. So as a result, the knowledge of need has decreased in the deacon body about you, the congregation. Many of you have lost those paths of communication that were so easy two years ago. When Betty gets sick in your class, you would call the office. Someone from the office would call the deacons, and the deacons would talk to each other, and they would go make the visit. That line of communication, honestly, in a large part, has simply broken down. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Even before we bring on new deacons, restore those lines of communication that we once had. The hospitals are now open. People can now be visited. So when someone in your class or someone in your family is sick or they have a family need, would you please let us know? I'm telling you right now, your deacons are chomping at the bit to get out there and to serve you. But they can't serve the needs they do not know. Call the office. Call a deacon that you know. Tell your Sunday school class teacher. Sunday school class teachers, tell us the church so we can let the deacons know so they can continue to serve you well. Because when the deacons serve well, church, ministry is accomplished. Prayer and preaching increases. And even the Bible says the church even continues to grow. But when ministry doesn't happen, when the needs aren't met, the mission is not accomplished. Look at verse two. It says, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. What are the apostles saying here? Are they saying, oh, we're too good to serve those tables? No. 
And nor am I too good to serve a table. I'm not afraid to grab a broom. I'm not afraid to grab a vacuum. I love to go visit people in the hospital. I love interpersonal connection. But the reality is the responsibility needs to be shared. The ministry weight and responsibility, simply church would crush me if I tried to do it on my own. I'm, I hate to tell you some of this, but I'm not able to do it. <laughs> the staff, we're, we're not able to accomplish it. And we need help doing it. No, they weren't above serving tables, but it was not the primary call. They were to minister the word of God to the congregation and be faithful to pray. And the deacons were brought on board to do what? To serve, which allowed the apostles, like myself and the rest of the staff. I'm not saying I'm an apostle, but I'm a pastoral position to preach, to pray, and to equip the saints. The better our deacons serve, the more focused the ministry can be. And because we work together, preaching, leading, praying, and serving, the mission is accomplished. And when the mission is accomplished, the church will grow. Look at verses five through seven. Deacons promote healthy churches. After the deacons were found, these seven men, which by the way, it's going to be more than seven this time. It doesn't have to be seven. That's just the number that they needed. The congregation agreed. Then these men were ordained. They were prayed for and hands were laid on them. And then what? They were commissioned and put to work. What were the results? The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and even some of the Jewish priests came to faith because the mission was be accomplished through the church. This is my prayer for our congregation, that we bring on deacons to serve with our current deacons. Ministry happens, preaching and praying and leading happens, and we continue to accomplish the mission, and our church continues to grow, not for numerical sake, but for the glory of God and his sake. Amen. Verse three, these deacons that you're looking for, and we'll spend the rest of our time here. There's, I mean, it's gonna be pretty fast, so get your pins out. What we basically see in verse three and then in First Timothy chapter three is that deacons have strong character. Acts 6 says, they selected from among themselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who they may put in charge of this task. Don't miss that the deacons were chosen from the congregation. That's what we're asking you to start thinking about doing today. There's gonna be these sheets of paper. You take them with you. You read through the text at home. You pray it, and then on June the 5th, we'll be taken up. That'll be the final day we take up names that you have written down. What kind of men are these men? They're men of good reputation. Ask yourself when you think about writing this man's name down, what is the reputation of this man in our church, but also in our community? We want you to think about this kind of man. He must be 18 years or older. We had to put a number on it. That's it. And he needs to be a member of Coggan Avenue Baptist Church for at least one year. But after that, you need to think for yourselves what name you're going to write down. Ask yourself, is he a man of service or self-interest? Is he known for sinfulness and, or is he known for righteousness? Is he known for his pride or is he known for his humility? Ask yourself, does he keep his word? What is his reputation not only among believers on Sunday morning, but what is his reputation among unbelievers as he lives his life every day when he leaves the church. We are not looking for perfect men. Don't misunderstand me. Or no man could serve. If you're looking for a perfect man, I can't even serve as your pastor. I'm far from that. If you need um, somebody to confirm that, just talk to my wife. <laughs> or any deacon or pastor's wife. We're looking not for the popular man. We're looking for the man of good reputation. Verse five, we must move on. Who is full of the spirit. What does this mean? 
It means they're led by God's spirit above personal ambition. They care more about holiness than they do about earthly success. Ask yourself questions like, not only does this man know the Lord, but does he daily walk with the Lord? Is this a man of prayer or is he a man of self? Also, he says men must be, these men must be wise, not immature, but experienced and wise in the Lord's eyes. Now, don't reduce this to an age thing. You do know that you can be old and immature and young and wise. That's a possibility. It, it happens all the time. So age should have something to do with it, but it doesn't necessarily have something to do with it. Wisdom means the application of God's knowledge in your daily life. Is this man follow the Lord and want his will done in his life? It says these men, we need to be able to put them in charge of the task and they do it. What does that mean? It means they're responsible. These are the kind of men that when you ask them to do something, they just do it. Ask yourself, does this man that I want to write down his name, does he make excuses or do he just make things happen? What we do here at Coggan Avenue Baptist Church is too important to not be taken seriously. I've already seen this desire to be responsible in your deacon body here at this church. These are the kind of men when you ask them to do something, they just do it. Many times they just do it without you asking them. That's the kind of men we are looking for. Responsible men who take pride in their service to the Lord. Simple things like they, they go to the meetings instead of trying to avoid their responsibility. They check on their widows they respond to calls of service when they're offered by the church. This is Acts chapter 6, that deacons are selected from among the church body that are problem-solving servants who promote healthy churches, who have strong character. Now, to dive into that character, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, and we'll go through verse 13. I call this the deacon character qualifications. Now, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is not a list of sins they must not have and life they must have. It's, it's more like an umbrella terms of the kind of character that you're looking for in this man. Verse 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are above reproach. Not perfect, above reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's start with verse 8. Dignity. The Greek word for dignity describes a man who is to be revered. He is worthy of honor and respect, and all those who gather around him see it. I think respect is something that is best achieved when it is earned. You've probably heard that before. We want men to serve as deacons here that, that have respect, not because they demand it, but they have respect because people see their dignity and they want to give them respect. I have a man's name in my mind. I won't share his name with you. He would be embarrassed if I did. But every time I think about a deacon, of which he is, and I think about this idea of dignity and worthy of respect, his name pops into my mind every time. Why? Because he is constantly giving himself away to others. And everybody that I've ever known, that has ever known him, they respect him. Why? Because he serves so well. So if he has respect of others, what is he going to have among the community that we already saw in Acts chapter 6? 
He's going to have a good reputation, not just in his church, but in and among his community. Not only must he have dignity or be worthy of respect that has been earned, but he also must be consistent with his words. Deacons must not be double-tongued, the text says here. It means they should not be insincere. What does that mean? It means he's not always talking out both sides of his mouth. For example, if this man has struggled in some kind of sin, he's not necessarily disqualified. But if he says, I've struggled with this sin, but I'm over it, and yet his lifestyle says something different on a consistent basis, this man is not ready to serve. He is double-tongued in his lifestyle. Or if this man tells you something that he's going to do, but then he consistently flakes out on doing the task again and again and again, it means he lacks follow-through, and he says one thing and does another, this man is not ready to serve. We do not need men that we vote in this year that stay for a little while, and then they quit the deaconate and the deacon body next year. We need men who will follow through and be committed. Does he act one way at church and another way at home or work? If so, he is not ready. I believe this might be one of the biggest struggles for men today, especially young men. Consistency and follow through. He needs to be a man that we, like Act 6, can put in charge of this task. He needs to say what he means and means what he says. Deacons must also look here. This is the one we like to focus on. It says he must not be addicted to alcohol or addicted to much wine. Again, the question is not, has he ever tasted alcohol? That's not what he says here. Or that he has the occasional drink in an appropriate forum. The question is, does alcohol or really anything else, does it control him? Does he drink to get drunk? If so, he's not ready. Only Christ should control him. This is a standard for all Christians, but it is a requirement for this next level of servanthood and leadership in the church. And if he does partake in an occasional drink, does he do it in a manner that honors Christ? It's really about the heart, not about the drink. Is he willing, here's a good question, is he willing to not drink for the consideration of others? If not, and he's prideful about drinking, he says things like, I'm going to drink whenever and wherever I so well please, no matter who's watching me, that man, he's not ready. Because what does it mean to be a servant? A deacon is a what? I just told you. (laughs) A servant. (laughs) To be a servant means that you're willing to put yourself second for the sake of somebody else. And if your drinking alcohol causes your brother or sister to stumble, and you can't not drink for a time so that they don't stumble, you're not ready for this level of servanthood. I think that's what the text is saying. So instead of asking, even for yourself, how much can I drink, pastor? That's the wrong question. Ask, can Jesus be glorified in all that I do? You represent Christ wherever you go and with everything that you do. If this man cannot bring himself to consider others concerning alcohol or really anything else, he is not ready. But we like to focus in on alcohol. Now that we've got through that, let's look at another one that we often don't consider. What about money? It says here, a deacon must not be fond of sordid gain. It means he must not be greedy. Making a return on your investments is not the issue. Being wealthy or poor, that's not the issue. Does he make his money in a shady way? That's the question. Does he earn profit by cheating others? Is he the kind of man that will tell you a lie or anything else just to make the profit? Do you know people like that? I've met them before. That man 
is not ready to serve as a deacon because it reflects poorly on the church, but more importantly, on Christ himself. He must hold to his faith with a clear conscience, it says, not controlled by alcohol or by money or anything else. Not only does Paul say that a deacon is to serve with dignity and sincerity, not being controlled by anything, but in verse 10 it says, he must first be tested, then let him serve. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to give this guy the star test. I, could, I don't think I could pass that. Or, or have him take the ACT and compare his score to others. No, no, it means he must be observed. Which is why you are the ones that are going to write down his name. You're going to do the observing on that first level. You're the one that had been observing the man in the congregation. You need to look among yourselves. That's why he couldn't be a member less than a year. Because it takes some time to observe a man. And then we're going to take the man after you nominate him, and then we are going to test him. We're going to give him some questionnaires. We're going to do two, at least two in-person interviews. And after the deacon body approves those men, we're going to bring these men back to you. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to vote on them at the end of the testing process, which may take a little time. This may take the the whole summer to ask them questions and to go back and forth and to make sure they're ready and to make sure we feel good about them. And then we'll probably bring them before you at the end of the summer, early fall. You vote, and then guess what we're going to do? Just like Act 6, we're going to lay hands on them, we're going to pray for them, and then we're going to put them to work. Look what happens next here. Right in the middle of addressing deacons, Paul seems to be talking to their wives about also being dignified and not gossiping, but being faithful and temperate And then he dives back into the deacons and their role in his family. But in full disclosure, I think it's helpful to acknowledge that among scholars, there is some debate on whether Paul is referring to the wives of deacons or the possibility of female deacons. Now, we're not going to have time to dive into all of it, but that's why some of your versions that you're reading may say women, while other other versions may say wives, And I want to honestly tell you this morning that there is some evidence of female deacons in the New Testament. I don't know if that shocks you, but this has been around for 2,000 years. It shouldn't. And I also want to tell you that in those churches where the deacon body serves and does not function like a board of elders, this does not contradict other passages about leadership in the church. But I also want you to know right now at Coggin, we are sticking with the application in general for women, but especially for wives with the anticipation, did I say that word right? Anticipation, and even the openness for further discussion in the future. Verse 12, Paul says that a deacon must be a man of incomparable family values. Paul mentions the same family values for the deacons as he does for the pastor, and he starts off by saying he must be, this is another hot topic, we're gonna get through it, the husband of one wife and a good manager of his home. I thought this week, you know what? The home is a great resume for the pastor and the deacon. It speaks to who they really are far more than a sheet of paper reflecting their accomplishments. With the husband of what and wife character trait, Paul is saying that this deacon is to be a one-woman kind of man. That's literally what it says in the Greek text. It says ice, which is one, gune, which is woman, and anthropos, which is the word for man. A one woman, man. The question is, what does it mean to be a one-woman kind of man? Now, that's a good question. It means that this man, that you're going to write down his name, is committed to the wife that he has for the rest of his life. 
Now, we often interpret this standard by taking it to mean that a man, if he's going to serve as a pastor or a deacon, must have ever only had one wife. When you think about that, it really disqualifies some people that we probably don't think should be disqualified. It disqualifies the widower who gets remarried. That would disqualify the single man who has no wife, and it would disqualify also the one that we like to focus on, the divorced man. Yet, I don't see passages prohibiting the single man from serving. Otherwise, Paul couldn't serve, and he's writing this letter. I don't see passages that disqualify a a widower from serving who's remarried, although it might if you interpret that this way in this text. But we do like to read the idea of divorce in this text as that's something that should not ever be allowed. Can I tell you this morning, I am not convinced that Paul ever said that. Now, I know prohibiting divorce is an accepted understanding of this text for many. And honestly, I understand why. Why? Because divorce is so devastating. God says in his word that he hates divorce. And I want you to know that there's going to be many more messages from his word and my voice talking about marriage and divorce. But for the purpose of this text, suffice it to say that divorce is not an automatic disqualifier for a man who is going to serve this church in the role as a deacon. Now, understand what I am saying. I'm not saying that I'm a big fan of divorce. I always counsel and I always preach the permanence of marriage. But I'm also committed to textual preaching. And Paul simply does not use the word divorce and it was available. I believe if Paul was highlighting a sin that he wanted to be a disqualifier, he would have said, the man could not be divorced. But he doesn't say that. I also started thinking, as I've studied this text many times, if Paul was going to really disqualify a man for one particular sin, which this would be the only one that he highlights, I think he would have probably chosen something a little harsher, like child molestation or murder. But he doesn't say that. He says he must be a husband of one wife, a one-woman kind of man, which means he's committed to his wife for the rest of his life. Did you know that you could have a man in a church that has been married to his wife for 40 years, yet he cheats on her all the time. He would be the husband of that one wife, but not a one-woman kind of man. Why? Because he's not committed to her, and that man would not be qualified, and we don't need him in the deaconate. You must be committed to your wife and your family to serve in this position. If you want to know how a man loves and is committed to Christ, I'm boiling it down to this one statement, so listen. Look at how he loves and is committed to his wife and his children. In our churches, we need men. Now, I'm not talking about deacons. Now, I'm talking about all men. We need men. We need you, men, to be men of incomparable, incomparable family values. I love Paul. I love how he ends this section with a blessing on the deacon who serves well. These men who serve you well here at Coggin are men of integrity, and they deserve your respect. Your deacons serve me well already, and I tell you, they want to serve you well. These are the kind of men we want to continue to serve with in the future. Today, I want you to pick up one of these sheets. They look like this. I brought one up here. You can get it in the foyer. It's got five slots, and it's real simple. It says Coggin Avenue Baptist Church, Deacon Nominations, and it says 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, Biblical Requirements. You can pick one one up on either side of the stage. I want you to take one of these home with you. I don't want you to be hasty when you write down the names. 
I want you to go back through Acts chapter 6 on your own, prayerfully. I want you to go back through 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as God leads you to a name, I want you to write down that name. Over the next couple weeks, you can bring it back with you next week and put it in the offering boxes. You can put it in one of the black boxes that are around the church, like a secure deposit. You can hand it to me or another staff member. And then on June the 5th, we're going to finish the process of collecting those nominations. Then those men will be questioned. They will be tested. We'll bring them back for you for a vote. And then we will ordain them. That process starts today. When I look at this text, though, and I look at all these qualifications, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm overwhelmed. You may feel a little overwhelmed. You may think something like, are we looking for a perfect man? No. There's only one perfect man who ever lived. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that died on the cross, not me, not any deacon. He's the one that absorbed God's wrath. He's the one that was buried. He's the one that raised from the dead three days later. But it's he that we repent and believe in. And once we repent and believe, our desire should be to desperately and consistently follow in his steps. These are the men that we're looking for. The men that are following in his steps. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's step one. This deacon message is something that you can digest in the future, but right now you need to say, Lord, help me to know you. Help me to trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And as we pray, I want you to consider what Jesus means for you. Lord, I thank you for passages like this that cause us to reflect I thank you that you've given us direction in your word to bring men in the deaconate to serve here at Coggan Avenue Baptist Church. But most of all, I thank you that you are the example. You died, you rose from the dead, and we place our faith in you. And if there's one, yes, even in a deacon sermon, Lord, if there's one that yet who's placed their faith in you, God, bring them unto salvation today so that we can see them like six others that we saw today in these baptism waters that show their faith in you. And guide us as a church family as we look for these men from among us to serve us. It's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www.cogginchurch.org.